on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We recap the Terps games against William and Mary and Illinois from last week, pick a Terp of the week, and play another round of fair or foul. Plus, a conversation with Terps senior catcher Justin Morris and a preview of the upcoming midweek game against James Madison and weekend series at Michigan. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 52 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. As you heard, I'm Justin Galanti, once again joined by Connor Newcomb. And Connor, for the Terps, it was a one and three week, a midweek extra inning loss to William and Mary, and then dropped two of three over the weekend to Illinois to fall back to a couple games under 500, three and three in the Big Ten. And, you know, the midweek, we like to talk about it. It's been rough this year, but the weekends are really what's important now that Big Ten play has start, started. And while the Terps struggled in the first game on Friday, came back, won the second had a chance to win on Sunday, but it was just a sloppy game. They didn't get it done. And a little bit unfortunate that what could have been a 500 week and gotten the Terps to 4-2 and two in conference play instead ends with a sour taste. Yeah, it almost it's like two half innings could have really decided the outlook of this entire week of Maryland baseball. It was the seventh and eighth innings of Sunday's game against Illinois when the Terps had a 2-1 to one lead after getting two runs in the bottom of the sixth and then a freak play, scored the tying run in the seventh, and then three walks in the eighth inning allowed two runs to score for Illinois, and the Illini took that series. And if the Terps can just hold on to that lead in game three, it's a completely different outlook on this weekend. You've won back-to-back Big Ten series to start the schedule, one against one of the better teams in the Big Ten in Illinois, and you're looking good going on to play next weekend, maybe the best team in the Big Ten right now in Michigan. So it would be a completely different outlook, but the bullpen came in and just couldn't get the job done. And now you're looking at a very iffy week at one and three, a tough extra inning midweek loss in there as well to William and Mary. So the Terps are going to have to bounce back going into next week. Yeah, we'll start with the midweek game against William and Mary. It was a 6-3, 11-inning loss in a game that I think we can both agree Maryland should have won. They got six innings, four hits, one run, and six strikeouts from Mark DeLuia, probably the best game of his career. You can argue the VCU start, which was his first midweek start, but I would say this was his best, over 98 pitches. And the Terps were behind the whole game, but they had chances in the eighth and ninth innings to take the lead and win the game. They had guys on base in scoring position with nobody out, didn't score, end up leaving 17 men on base in 11 innings. And then, frankly, at the end, Maryland just ran out of pitchers in the 11th inning. They had used Mike Vastoria, Sean Fisher, John Murphy, Kevin Biondic, and then Elliot Zollner just came in and struggled, and the Terps end up losing that game. And, you know, I think now we're at the point where you'd like to accumulate wins in the midweek, but the conference is really more important. But this was a little bit of a disheartening loss just because unlike other midweeks where Maryland's gotten blown out a little bit, this was a game they should have won, and it all kind of came down to leaving 17 on base. Yeah, 17 left on base is the big stat from that midweek game, the Terps losing in 11 innings. I mean, the Terps had great chances to win the game, really, in the 8th and the ninth inning in that game. They got one run in the 8th that tied it, but left a man on third base with nobody out. In the ninth inning, they left a man on third base with one out, I believe, and they just couldn't get it done. And 
eventually William and Mary just kind of the, the bullpen from William and Mary was great in that game. And they basically just got it past Maryland's, you know, three or four big arms in the bullpen who have done really well this year. And after that, there's really a big drop off in that Maryland bullpen. Just some guys maybe don't have as much confidence out there. A guy like Elliot Solner, who has been so up and down this season and he came in and struggled with the command and William and Mary took advantage and their bullpen was just a little bit better, was able to hold on a little bit longer. And just that was a tough rough tough loss for the Terps going into the weekend. So then it was a doubleheader on Friday against Illinois, and in game one, unfortunately for the Terps, Taylor Bloom probably had the worst start of his career, gave up 10 hits and 10 earned runs in five innings. Illinois had three runs before Bloom could even record it out. Maryland comes back with two in the bottom of the first, so it's a 3-2 game. Illinois then goes on top 5-2, and then they hit a grand slam in the fifth inning, go ahead, uh, 10 to three at that point and that and, and at that point the game was kind of over Andy Fisher the starter for Illinois gave up two runs in the first inning looked shaky but then dominated Maryland the rest of the way finished eight innings just three runs eight hits two walks five strikeouts and it was just kind of another case of a rough home Taylor Bloom start and the offense unable to pick up the slack. Now, 10 runs is a lot to ask, but when it started with two runs in the first inning with all the zeros most of the rest of the way before the Terps put up three against in kind of garbage time in the bottom of the ninth inning, uh, it was not a great performance in, what is it, five straight Friday night losses for Maryland? Yeah, five in a row on Fridays at the Terps have lost. Not all have been Taylor Bloom's uh, fault. He's had some good starts in there where the offense just couldn't get it going. But as you said, probably the worst start of the senior's career, the 10 earned runs and 10 hits over five innings. And also walking five is the big number there for Taylor Bloom in just five innings. I mean, a guy throughout his career who, even when he struggled, has been a guy who throws strikes, gets deep into ball games, And two things he didn't do, only lasted five, walked five batters, one per inning, was just not a good look for Bloom on Friday. And Obviously, the Terps offense really, you know, they only came alive in the first and the ninth innings of that game. They got two in the first. They ended up getting three in the ninth. But in between that, the Terps were completely shut down in that ballgame, couldn't get anything going. The only run they scored in between those innings was on a balk in between the first and the ninth inning. So the Terps really couldn't get anything going. And I know it's hard, as you said, to overcome the 10 runs. Even a good offensive output maybe wouldn't have won that game. But maybe if the Terps are getting a couple more runs up, maybe Rob Vaughn goes away from Taylor Bloom in that fifth inning and tries to get the bullpen to come in and keep it closer. Because once that grand slam was served up to Zach Taylor, that game was over in the fifth inning. So while the three runs in the ninth inning were somewhat meaningless in a 10-6 loss, they did carry the momentum over to game two on Friday, and Maryland's bats came alive in the bottom of the second inning of that game. Justin Morris hit a three-run home run. Kevin Biondic hit a solo shot in the third inning. Maryland wins the game 7-1 to even the series, and they got another great start from Tyler Blome. Six and a third, five hits, one run, struck out nine, and he struck out Bren Spillane, the midseason player of the year nationally, three times. And now two of the last four starts for Blom have been really, really dominant, the Stetson start and the Illinois start, and this was a great sign. Yeah, for Tyler Blom, he was great. Again, talked about the use of his curveball again. He was able to get it over for a strike time and time again a couple weeks ago against Stetson when he struck out 12. And then against Northwestern, it was just a lot of curveballs in the dirt they could lay off of him. But again, if he can throw the curveball over for the first pitch strike and get it in there when he's behind in the count, that's what makes him so good. We talked to him after his start before Sunday's game, and that's what he told me, that it was just it's all about the curveball. If he can pitch off of the curveball, he's going to be dominant. That's what he did. In game two on Friday, he was so good again for the Terps. And 
The Terps offense also, you know, got it together a little bit more. They got seven runs on 11 hits in that game and came up with the big hits when they needed it, especially early. And, of course, the big name in that lineup was Justin Morris in that one. Yeah, it was a career day for the senior catcher. He had two doubles off the wall in center, a home run over the light post in right field, also had a walk. He doubled in his first at-bat on Sunday, so five straight times on base, four extra base hits in that stretch. And after not having an extra base hit coming into that at-bat, uh, the first at-bat of game two of this series. It was a great sign for Maryland and something they've been waiting for all season. Yeah, they've really been waiting for that from Justin Morris in his senior year. He came into that game hitting just over 150 into that game two of the doubleheader, and he got the three hits four times on base. And you can see his, you know, he's got a big left-handed swing, a lot of power, and, you know, if the batter's eye isn't out there in center field, those two doubles hit halfway up the batter's eye. Those, be home runs. those would be home runs as well. So he hit the ball very, very hard, but the Terps have just seen a lot of strikeouts from him this season. It was good to see him get hits, draw a walk as well, lay off some pitches, which he's done fairly well this season, even without getting the hits. But if he can continue to hit like that, that's where the Terps are going to have much more success because the bottom of the order has struggled so much this year. So that set up a rubber match on Sunday, and for the Terps, it was the difference between getting back to 500 and 4-2 and two in the Big Ten or falling two games under 500 and being 3-3 three and three in conference play. It started off as a pitcher's duel between Hunter Parsons and Ty Weber. Neither team scored through the first three innings. Illinois gets a run in the top of the fourth on an RBI walk. It stays 1-0 until the bottom of the sixth inning when Maryland scored two runs, one thanks to an error, one on an RBI hit by pitch. But in the top of that sixth inning, Hunter Parsons, who was giving Maryland another great start, five and two-thirds, three hits, one run, and seven strikeouts, had to exit the game with some discomfort in his leg, and that kind of spiraled things out of control in the pitching staff. John Fisher did get out of that sixth inning, but then gave up a run in the seventh. So then the game was tied, and that run came across on a wild pitch on a strikeout with a man on second base, and then Justin Morris, the catcher, uh, made a throw to first that hit the runner going down the line who also collided with first baseman Kevin Biondic, which allowed the tying run to score for Illinois. Then in the top of the eighth, Maryland started the inning with Mike Vastoria. He walks the first batter. Then they go to John Murphy. He walks the second batter. And then they go to Kevin Biondic, who walks a batter. And then back-to-back -back sack flies for Illinois, puts them on top 4-2, to two, and Maryland couldn't recover. Now in that inning, Marty Costas, who was the DH at that point in the game, was set to lead off the bottom of the eighth. So Rob Vaughn didn't want to go to Kevin Biondic or else he'd lose Marty and lose the DH. So he tried to steal some outs with Vastoria and Murphy, who had thrown 49 pitches and was on just one day of rest since Friday. Uh, unfortunately for the Terps, it didn't work. They lose the game 4-2, now 3-3 three and three in league play. And overall, it was a Sunday game at noon. So it just didn't seem like the teams were really up for this game. There was no energy in the ballpark at all. It was probably on both sides the most poorly played game we've seen of the season defensively and offensively. And Illinois just did a couple things better than Maryland to win the game. I think Illinois would agree with you on that. It was just an ugly baseball game. I mean, obviously the Illini, very happy they won, got the series, took two of three on the road in the Big Ten. But I think the Illini would agree with the Terps. I mean, just an ugly, ugly baseball game on Sunday. And as you said, it really wasn't the energy around a game that would decide a big early conference series after, you know, two 
maybe not great games on Friday, but two games where, you know, each team kind of dominated one of them on either side, and then they come out Sunday, and you think this is going to be a great battle between two pitchers Sunday who arguably were the best starters for each team at the time, and just the starters pitched well, but just some weird runs, as you said, and not a great baseball game, but all in all, Illinois did a couple things right. They got the sack flies, two of them back-to-back in the eighth inning that got the runs in, and the Terps couldn't get the hits when they needed them. They were 0 for 13 with runners in scoring position in that game, and that's what ultimately killed the Terps in that one. So now three weeks into Big Ten play, Michigan is alone atop the league at 6-0. and Overall, the Wolverines have won 15 consecutive games. Minnesota is 5-1, and Illinois 6-3, and Rutgers 4-2, and Purdue 4-2, and Iowa 5-3, and three. Indiana is 3-2, and two, but still ranked 10th in the country nationally. They're the only ranked team in the Big Ten. And then Maryland and Ohio State are tied for 8th at 3-3. Three and three. If the season ended today, Maryland would not make the Big Ten tournament. So that's why Sunday's loss was kind of costly for the Terps. Now there's plenty of time to go, but just the early impressions, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue, Indiana, Iowa, all these teams look really good and kind of set in their spots. And if you had to make a guess right now, or if I had to make a guess, I would say the last two spots in the Big Ten tournament are going to come down to Rutgers, Ohio State, and Maryland. Now, once again, the Terps are six games into Big Ten play, so it's too early to be talking about this. But right now, it looks like there are kind of seven good teams in the league, and then or maybe six good teams in the league, and then three are going to fight it out for the last two spots in Omaha. Yeah, and you know some teams could go on some runs. I mean, the Terps are going to see a Michigan team that's won 15 in a row who says another team a little lower in the Big Ten can't make a little bit of a run at the end of the season like a Northwestern did last year to sneak into the Big Ten tournament and ultimately go all the way to the final. But as you said, you're kind of seeing things just start to shape up a little bit in the Big Ten. You've got Michigan, you know, that's the team that's just running out in front of everyone. You've got Indiana who... Maybe has been a little disappointing in conference play, but you know all in all they might be the best team in the conference at the end. And then you kind of have your team in Purdue who's been your surprise team in Rutgers a little bit as well. But, you know, the way Maryland's playing, they're not going to fall out of the Big Ten tournament race. I mean, they have two, you know, if they keep getting starts like Blom and Parsons have been doing the last couple weeks and they have guys in the lineup, they're going to be in that conversation. But every game in the Big Ten is going to be so important because – I don't know if Maryland maybe has it right now to shoot all the way up to the top three in the conference. They're going to be a team right around the middle pack that's going to be fighting for a spot there, so every game is going to be crucial. Well, absolutely, and coming off a one-in-three week, it's time for us to pick our Terp of the Week, and as always, I'll let you go first here. Ooh, Terp of the Week, you know, it's tough to go Justin Morris because a lot of it was one game hitting, but... I think I'm going to go Justin Morris just because of how much he has struggled this season and how big it was to see him hit so well, even if it just was essentially a game and a half, this game two on Friday, and then to start out Sunday's game. And of course, he's been so good defensively all season as well. And it was big to see him and he, he... you know, it's big to see him just come out and hit the ball and hit the ball hard. I mean, a mammoth shot his three-run homer in a right field was. A couple of screaming liners off the wall. He drew a walk. So it's just big to see him. And, you know, he doesn't have to go three for three with a walk and, you know, three extra base hits every game. But if he can get himself on base every game, maybe twice, and just help the Terps at the bottom of the lineup, that's going to be so huge. So just to see him go out there and hit like that, he's my Terp of the week. Yeah, I think Justin Morris is a good choice. I'm going to go with Tyler Blome, who gave Maryland another great Saturday start led them to a victory and got them a win in the series and 
gave the Terps the opportunity to take the series, although they didn't do it. But Blom was really good. Looked like the same guy, same guy we saw against Stetson uh, two weeks ago. So the sophomore left-hander, Tyler, Tyler Blom, excuse me, is going to be my Terp of the week. Now it's time for another round of Fair or Foul. We have three statements to present this week. Our first one Coming off two consecutive very strong midweek starts, Mark DeLuya has re-secured that spot as the midweek starter. He never lost it, but you know we kind of questioned maybe if a guy like Mike Vastoria should get a start, but now are we fully confident that Mark DeLuya should be getting those midweek starts? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I think you saw it in that game Tuesday against William & Mary. Unfortunately, the Terps losing that one in 11 innings to the Tribe, but DeLuya was so good to see him. First of all, I mean, last week against Richmond, he really wasn't that bad at all. The Terps lost the game 10-3, to but most of those runs were given up by the Maryland bullpen. But DeLuya, he gave up only the two runs, but he went only three innings before the Terps pulled him in favor of Mike Vasturia. But to see him on Tuesday against William Mary go six innings, give up just the one run, and strike out six was big for me. He looked a lot more confident on the mound, mixing up his pitches. And again, you're seeing a guy who maybe there won't be a weekend spot for him this year, but you're seeing a guy in the future, especially even next year, who's going to try to win a weekend rotation spot. And another thing that is going to be huge for the Terps, really looking way ahead, but we've been doing that for a lot of this podcast, is when you get to the Big Ten tournament, you cannot win the whole thing with just three starting pitchers. And the Terps are going to be in a position where they're probably going to at least need to make a deep run into the Big Ten tournament if they want to get even further than that into postseason play. And Mark DeLuya is going to be a huge part of that last season. The Terps, at one point in the Big Ten tournament, had to turn to Hunter Parsons in a start. He struggled a little bit in that one. But if they can turn to DeLuya and he can give him a good output like this, the Terps will be in much better position. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a fair statement. DeLuya looked fantastic on Tuesday against William & Mary after a good couple innings of work against Richmond a couple weeks ago, so I'm excited to see what he does against James Madison in this midweek game, and I think absolutely Mike, uh, excuse me, Mark DeLuya has fully secured the spot as Maryland's midweek starter. Statement number two, we talked about this a few weeks ago and both agreed that it was a foul statement, but after what happened this weekend, I think it's worth bringing back up the statement, Maryland should mix up the weekend rotation. You know, there's a little bit more of a thought put to it because the Terps have lost five Friday games in a row. And again, as I mentioned earlier, not all of them Taylor Bloom's fault. He's pitched very well in some of those five games. But maybe the Terps do have to change up something. Look, you know, whether they won or lost Sunday, they lost the game. They had a chance to win it again and had a chance to do the same thing they had done the last two weeks, which is drop the opener and then win the next two games in the series. And you know, that's a fine way to do things. If you keep winning two of three, that's fine. You could lose every Friday game if you're winning every Saturday and Sunday, and you'd be a great team in the country. But at some point, you have to start winning Friday games to set yourself up. And I don't even know, you know, Taylor Bloom is not going to give up 10 runs over five innings, right. probably ever again in his career. But maybe just switching things up might get him in a little bit better of a mindset. He's been such a great pitcher for the Terps, pitched so many innings over his career, but you know, the Friday night roll is still new to Taylor Bloom. He's been more of a back-of-the-weekend rotation guy. So maybe if you see Bloom continue to do this, or even, you know, your your veteran guy on the staff even more than Bloom is Hunter Parsons in his junior year, maybe give him a shot on Friday nights. It was good going, but if the Terps, you know, aren't going to get the offense going maybe on Sunday, you can't just be dropping every single Friday game. And, again, it's nothing against Bloom, I think, Maybe just switching things up will help. There's not always stats to back up everything you do. Sometimes just a switch can help. 
Yeah, and you mentioned all the innings Bloom has thrown in his career, and a couple starts he's uh, he's going to break Mike Schwarin's school record for career innings pitched. He's less than 25 innings away from that right now. And let's just think about it for for a second the fact that Mike Schwarin has the school record for innings pitched in three years. He's the only pitcher in program history to throw over 300 innings, which is pretty remarkable. But Bloom, if all things go the way they have this season, he's going to break that number in a few weeks, which will be cool. As for this statement, I'm going to say it's fair. I just think it's time. I think some kind of shakeup needs to happen in this Maryland team. And like you said, it's not necessarily anything against Bloom, but losing five Fridays in a row is losing five Fridays in a row. There's just no way to kind of mince words about this. And while it's okay, like you said, to lose on Friday and win Saturday, Sunday, you put yourself in a really difficult position if you're forced to win the last two games of every single weekend series. So, yeah, I'm going to say it's time. Why not try and mix things up? Over his career, Taylor Bloom has been most successful as a Saturday or Sunday starter, so why not see if you can go back to that, put him in one of those days, move one of the other guys to Friday, and hopefully, you know, things turn around if you're Maryland. I don't think there's too much harm in doing it at this point because, look, you've lost five Fridays in a row right now. You're 3-3 three and three in conference play, and the world's not ending. There's no reason to panic, but I think it is at the point where, you know, why not try and shake things up? Yeah, you got to make a shakeup. And, and, again, just want to reiterate, like, you know, if there were stats maybe where Parsons has pitched on Saturdays in his career better or Blom was pitching on Sundays better, but sometimes just a shakeup that doesn't have anything to do with the, the way the guys are pitching on certain days. Because, as you said, five Friday losses in a row is five Friday losses in a row no matter how you look at it. And you feel like you got to change something, so maybe changing the starting pitcher will help the Terps. Our final statement of fair or foul this week, Maryland has to get a game from Michigan this weekend. We mentioned it earlier. The Wolverines have won 15 in a row. You could argue this is the hottest team in the country. Terps are going on the road. It's going to be very difficult. But, you know, it seems like Maryland can't afford to be 3-6 and six in the Big Ten, and that's what it would be if they get swept. I mean, Michigan is looking like the best team in the Big Ten right now, but I agree. It's it's fair that Maryland probably has to get a game this weekend. Three and six is not a good start in your first nine Big Ten games. And look, you want to be the team that goes out there and stops Michigan's winning streak. They've won 15 in a row going in or, you know, going into this week for the Wolverines. And it's going to be a big weekend for the Terps, not only for the RPI and the NCAA standings, but just getting back to trying to take another series. If you can go in there and take a series in Ann Arbor, that would be huge for the Terps. But Maryland at least has to get one because you don't want things to start snowballing. It, it was a very just a weird, tough loss Sunday against Illinois. You don't want that to snowball into more losses going forward because of just the way that game oddly ended and the way that um, Illinois came back and won that game. So it's going to be big for the Terps to get a victory. I agree. I think it's a fair statement. And the reason for that is when you look ahead at Maryland's schedule, Big Ten play the rest of the year. Purdue at home is really good. Michigan State is not so good, but that's on the road. Nebraska is not great, but that's on the road. Rutgers seems to be improved. That's at home. And then Indiana's ranked 10th in the country, and that's on the road. So all those are going to be toughs, are going to be tough, excuse me, I don't necessarily foresee the Terps sweeping any series because it's so hard to do in Big Ten play. So because of that, you need to accumulate wins anytime you can. So this weekend, I feel like, yes, they do need to get at least one game against Michigan to avoid uh, falling 3-6 and six in league play. 
So that wraps up fair foul for this week, and now it's time for our conversation with one of the Terps players. Connor's player of the week was Justin Morris, senior catcher, and I had a chance to talk with him earlier today about his career in College Park, what it's like being a senior and a leader of this team. So here is that conversation. Morris drives it to deep right field. Yalowitz is back. He's at the track. At the wall, it's gone! Three-run home run, Justin Morris. Now joined by Terp senior catcher Justin Morris here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Justin, thanks for giving us some of your time. No problem. Glad to be here. So your senior year right now, 2018, and you had one of your best weekends this weekend on Saturday. You had two doubles, both off the wall. You had a home run off the light post in right field, also a walk. Had another double on Sunday. What were you seeing at the plate this weekend? Yeah, I mean, you know, starting out the year, just obviously been struggling. Um, just every week, you you know, you try to grind through some things where you're just trying to get better and uh, I felt that all week we, you know, we just preached. We did a lot of drills where we were, ha- had our approach set on oppo to center field gap. And um, I felt that that really helped me because usually when I'm uh, hitting my best, I'm usually reacting inside and and just getting the pitch over the plate and driving it the other way. And um, earlier in the year, you know, just be- when you're pull happy, I mean, it, it's so easy to get pitched to when people know you're just trying to pull everything. And so just, you know, getting back to that old approach, it, it kind of sets my um, success rates a little higher. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of drilled that approach the whole week, and it helped me out. And you kind of said this after the game on Saturday, I believe, but it had been a string of a lot of left-handed starters you guys had been facing, and you finally got to see some righties. How much does that help you? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean – you know, it's always tough left on left, obviously. Uh, just, you know, seeing a righty again, it kind of was almost like it was just easier to see it. Um, but, yeah, it's always uh, just better matchup for me right on left. So now that you've been here almost four years, you've been a starter for a few years, you're kind of the leader of the team behind the plate pretty much starting every weekend game right now. And you're joined on this roster by two other catchers. Unfortunately, Ty Friedrich got hurt, but he's a redshirt freshman. Justin Vogt is a freshman. What kind of relationship have you developed with those two guys to kind of mentor them for when you move on from here? Yeah, I mean, it's been great, honestly. I mean, I'm I'm really good friends with both of them, first and foremost. Um, it, it's cool for me just because I can, you know, work with these guys. And I know they're obviously the future of Maryland baseball, so I – I try to give them any as much wisdom as uh, possible, not even baseball, just life in general. Um, but for me, you know, especially just defensively, I try to, you know, help them understand why we do certain things um, because I, I always just try to tell them, you know, that like as a catcher, I mean, our, our biggest uh, responsibility is just to play good defense and handle the staff and um, just not to put too much pressure on yourselves offensively and just understand what your role is behind the plate. So you've always been someone that's been looked at as kind of one of the better defensive catchers in the conference. Where do you think you know your ability defensively comes from and how much pride do you take in your ability to affect the game behind the plate? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, just, just growing up, I, I didn't start catching until, honestly, like freshman year of high school, but 
Um, I, I was just taught at a young age, just be athletic back there. And uh, I just take a lot of pride in um, just trying to keep the ball off the backstop and, you know, make pitches look good. And um, it's just you, you look up through down all the levels and everybody just says, you know, like to to um, to make it to that, like I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't take so much pride in defense. Like that's just the reality of it. Like guys always need um, – guys behind the plate who can catch and throw and um I mean hitting is just so much failure involved with it where behind the plate I mean you can it's a tough position there's a lot of responsibility but to stick out you really need to be the same guy every game back there you mentioned handling a pitching staff and one guy that you've been handling for almost four years now is Taylor Bloom and in a couple starts, assuming everything you know stays on the pace it has for a couple of years now, he's going to break Mike Schwarren's school record for innings pitched. What is it going to mean to you to have been such a big part of that and to see Taylor, you know, from his freshman year until now, and then to become not only you know the school's leading inning leader in innings pitched, but the second uh, pitcher in school history to throw more than 300 innings? Uh, that's really cool. I mean, that's special. I really had no idea about that, but. Uh, I mean, for him, me and him, it runs deeper than that. Just, you know, once we first got into travel baseball, we were playing together. Like, I remember we were 10 years old playing on the same local Mayo Mustang team. Like, it's just crazy. Like, we we never, at that time, we would have never thought we were, we'd both be playing together in college. So it's definitely been very special for me. And with you two, you're both from Maryland and with this school, you see a lot of in-state products, and you got you kind of get to represent uh, your home state school. For you, when did the dream to play here kind of start? Um, honestly, probably when I got to Dematha. I mean, we, you know, coming here, we would always play our championship game on this field, and um, you know, seeing uh, my uh, my brother was always you know playing above me at a high level, and seeing him go play at Cincinnati, and then coming here. Um, it, it just drew, it, uh, drive me just to want to be at this level. And, um, one, once he got here, I mean, my brother was here. I really thought it'd be cool to be able to play a year with him. And then as well, just play, you know, right down the road from my high school, right in my backyard, the team I always rooted for growing up, uh, have all my friends and family around me. So it, it's been great. Not a lot of people get the chance to play sports with their siblings, really at all if you know you're not the same age or past middle school or high school you got to do it here for a year as you said what was that like and how much did that help you kind of transitioning from Dematha to here to you know have someone who you trust implicitly and know implicitly and things like that yeah I mean it was, it was cool just because as a, I mean I was a freshman and he was a redshirt junior so he was already a an older guy with experience and um for him just to you know help me just Honestly, just get my mind right for college baseball. Always just hearing him talk about things at home before I got there, what it would be like. Um, it kind of just got me ready for uh, just being here as a student athlete. And um, just, you know, as a freshman at DeMatha catching him, like it, it, when you're that age, you don't really catch people who have like Division One stuff at such a young age. So I think that really helped me just being a freshman in high school, being able to already get the sense of what it means to handle some good arms and um it you know when I got here there were guys like Alex Robinson pitching um you know Schworn uh some guys with some serious velocity and movement and just to get a sense of catching them as a freshman 
you know, just, I mean, I didn't catch much my freshman year, but just in the bullpens, fall, I mean, like that, that really um, gets you prepared for, you know, as you progress throughout your um, development here. Over the last couple of years going into the season, it seemed like there might be three different guys getting legitimate time at catcher last year. It was Nick Sierra and you and Danny Maynard this year, Ty and Justin and you also, Justin and me also, Justin. Um, but it's developed kind of both years by the midway point of the season towards the end of really being you on the weekends. What do you think that kind of says about you as a player? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's cool and all, but like, I don't, like I said, I just try to control what I can. I mean, last year, I, I've always had, the cool thing about the catching position, like the, all the catchers on the team have always been like my closest friends because they're the guys I'm showing up to the field with every day, the guys I'm, you know, practicing with, going through the same drills, working just as hard. So it, it's it's just cool to be able to, you know, just represent them, honestly. Like it, what, it, whoever's out there catching, like we just want to represent each other in the position well, and we, we all take a lot of pride in it. You mentioned, or we mentioned, Taylor Bloom a little bit, a guy you came in with. Um, there aren't too many seniors that you came in with on this roster. There's you and Taylor and Zach Jankarski and Kevin Biondic, and I've asked the other three of them about this, but I want to ask you as well. As that group has whittled down in number, how has it kind of affected your relationship with those guys? Have you gotten closer over these four years and now that you know, it's midway through the season, but, it, you know, it's kind of winding down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely made us closer. I mean, we, we've been through a lot of stuff together just throughout the years, you know, coming in as freshmen, just, uh, you know, succeeding really. I mean, as freshmen, winning the regionals and um, going to play at UVA and Super Regionals. And, I mean, that that's pretty cool to when you come in and do that. But we've also dealt with the failure part aspect of it, too, and then, We've been able to bounce back a little bit our junior year, but, you know, it's just cool being able to go through the ups and downs with them. It definitely makes us closer. What's it like to be to have seen what Kevin has kind of done this year where he was a starter his sophomore year, didn't get to play much last year, and now he's a big piece of your order and he's, you know, been the best pitcher you guys have? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just cool because, I like, I remember so many conversations me and him had last year when, uh, we were just frust. He was, you know, he was frustrated. Obviously, you know, he was a sophomore. He had a great year, and then he, I mean, Gum came in and was killing it, and he didn't, you know, find the field as much. So it's just awesome to see him, you know, handle that adversity last year, and then come back this year and be a, you know, a stronger player. You know, like right now he's just a complete player every day, and uh, it's, it just shows you his character and you know his desire just to be good. Speaking from or speaking more about this year's team, um, your Sunday starter Hunter Parsons has been just excellent over the last two months, and that's for him also coming off a rough year last year. His ERA was over 12, and things just never seemed to go right for him. Sometimes it was some bad breaks. Sometimes he would just get hit. But this year, it's been frankly remarkable how good he's been and how consistent he's been. What's the difference you think in him this season? I think he's just matured a lot, honestly. Like uh, earlier in his career, when you know things would get tough, you you sometimes see him, you know, crawl back into like a little cave and hide. But now, when things get tough, he's he's right back on the mound, ready to go. I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Willie, every time I throw him the the ball, he's right on the mound, ready to go. As soon as I put my fingers down, he's throwing the pitch. And so I think he just has a different mentality this year. I mean, he. There's just there's no hesitation with his pitching. There's 
no overthinking anything. He's just out there, you know, trusting his God-given ability, and he's doing well, and it's just awesome to see, you know, a guy like him who, you know, has dealt with adversity just come out on top of it. So, I mean, he he's just been great for us. And now for Tyler Blum, the Saturday starter, last year he's the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, but had a great start to the season, and the end kind of tapered off a little bit. This year, at least going through the last month, two of his last four starts have been really elite, I would say. The Stetson start and then the one this weekend against Illinois. And from the outside looking in, it seems like curveball command is what kind of separates him. Is that yeah, what for, it feels for, for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that pitch is it's a, it's a legit pitch. I mean, it, it's got some big league stuff to it. And um, the fact that last year, you know, that, that pitch, because it's moving so much, it's obviously tough to control at times. And I think last year he was just getting a lot of, you know, get behind batters a lot, 2-0, counts, and it's hard to pitch like that. You're either going to walk home or put the odds in their favors to get a hit. And, I mean, this year he's just attacking on pitch one. And even if that pitch isn't um, necessarily a strike, he, it's looking like a, more of a strike. Like last year, you know, sometimes he would just bounce it way in front or he wouldn't let go. He would, wouldn't be able to stay on top of it and come up high. So the fact that it's just looking like strikes is helping, like, um, and then he's just getting getting ahead of these hitters and keeping the foot on the gas on them. Other than the guys we talked about, and maybe you throw John Murphy in there, it's an incredibly young and inexperienced staff, and the coaching staff has said how lucky they are to have a senior like you kind of handling them. But what do you think your role is working with a lot of guys who coming into the season had never pitched in a Maryland uniform? Yeah, I mean, my role is just to, you know, keep them confident and just looking at the bigger picture like I mean they're you're going to come in and you're going to struggle that's just how college baseball works I mean it's it's not the same as high school I mean we everybody tears it up in high school everybody's the guy and then when you get here you you know you handle some adversity and just I just try to you know keep them aware of that like you're going to struggle it's going to happen what you just got to keep learning from your mistakes and keep you know staying positive and things will eventually work out just like Hunter Parsons you know like guy like that you just got to keep showing up to the field every day getting your work in and uh, just hoping that things are gonna get better because they will. This program has seen a lot of turnover in the coaching staff the last few years especially pitching coaches it's the third and three years now and everybody kind of says oh how does that affect a pitcher but I would think that has a pretty big effect on you as well. So kind of working with Coach Bellinger and then Coach Fecto and now Coach Muscara, how has it been different over the last three years? And specifically, what's it been like working with someone like Corey? Yeah, it has been different. I mean, last year with uh, Fecto, he was a lot more laid back kind of guy, less hands-on, just kind of threw you out there and would just go with the flow. Um Moose, I mean, I, I've loved working with him. He, he's really taught me a lot about the game, just catching in general. Because, like you said, guys don't realize, like, as the catcher, you're almost working with the pitching coach more than anybody, just in your bullpens and just talking about hitters before the game. Um, but I think he, I think he's great for our pitching staff and our team in general. I mean, he's a guy who – he it's bigger than baseball with him. He, he's not always just talking about baseball. Um He's, you know, he's always reading these motivational books and things about life and just uh, shedding wisdom onto us, which I think is great because, I mean, you get caught up in just thinking, like, life is all baseball. But, 
I mean, as I know now, about to graduate, like like the game's gonna end one day, and where are you gonna be? How are you gonna act? How are you gonna treat your family when it's all said and done? Um, but you know, I think he, like, he doesn't believe in failure. That's something I never like really heard about, like with the other pitching coaches. Like he, he, when guys fail, usually your first reaction is like everybody's pissed off at you. But like he always says, like if if you're not failing, you're not growing, and I think that just speaks a lot about his character that he's always looking for the good out of bad situations, which can be enlightening as a player. Just understanding, like, yeah, when I struggle, like, you know what? How can I get better? Or how's this going to prepare me for later in life? And that's what I've really enjoyed about him. On the rest of the staff, you have Rob Vaughn, your head coach, who was a catcher, Kevin Martier on the staff who caught here. What is it like for you to have, you know, that many voices in your ear to be able to help you out? It's great. I mean, it, it, it's just so much knowledge, you know. It, that's what I've really enjoyed throughout my time here. Um, just, you know, hearing – when I got here, I, I wasn't very, a very polished catcher. I would say I, I thought I was, but there were a lot of things that I didn't do well, like receiving-wise. I could always, you know, throw and be athletic, but when I got here, I really got taught how to receive, and um, I think it's helped me throughout my career. Um, but, you know, just hearing from Vaughn, Martyr, and even Moose, like it's just – you take in so much knowledge, and I feel like I'll be able to, like, use that for if I'm ever coaching one day or just helping me, you know, play. It's just – it's very helpful. Is coaching something you think you'd want to get into? You know what? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in it. I mean, like, I'm, I'm honestly jealous of Coach Vaughn. <laughs> I think that's just a dream come true to be able to, you know, to pay to be a head coach at a college and do something you love. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if – if that was ever a option, I think I would love to do that. Whenever this season comes to an end, be it in the Big Ten tournament or, you know, you guys win a national championship, whatever it may be, what are you going to remember about your four years here? I'm just going to remember this the experience. I think it's really just helped me mature as a man, honestly. Like um, like I said, in high school, you don't you don't deal with failure. You think you do, but – you really don't like once you get here. You know you're you're going through a tough schedule with classes, baseball workouts. You're going through Navy SEAL training. You're like struggling throughout the year where you're just always like sometimes you're just like really down yourself. Like I think it's just really helped me deal with failure and like understanding that like failure is a part of life and like no matter like how much you fail, you just have to keep going and I think that's just really it's just really matured me just handling adversity and just growing from it so far this season I would guess that you know it hasn't exactly been the start you guys wanted maybe coming off a year last year where you made a regional but there have been signs of how good this team can be taking two of three at Tennessee winning a game uh, at Coastal just to name a couple so what do you think the main thing that needs to happen for this team to be more consistent maybe and have performances like Tennessee and Coastal Carolina more than some of the other ones you've had? Yeah, I mean, we're like you said, we're, we just haven't been consistent enough. But, you know, it, it, it's a tough game. You know, like it, it's hard to be the same super regional winning team every year. It's just that's just not how it works. So, I mean, it's college. It's, it's college baseball. It's not like college across where it's basically just like a mid-Atlantic like this like there's good teams from all over the country and even these you know smaller uh not big like uh power five conferences have good teams like coastal carolina but i mean we 
you know, there's just been times where earlier in the year we we haven't uh, been able to, like, handle, you know, getting down, getting behind early in games. Um, last weekend we did a good job of battling back, uh, being down to Northwestern, and I think that was good for us to finally show our guys that we can come from behind and win. But there's just been there's been many times this year where it just hasn't been the same, where we haven't gotten a big hit when we wanted to or we haven't made a big play. And, you know, it, it happens, but, like, we can't dwell on it. All we can do is just keep – moving forward and focus on James Madison tomorrow and just try to just, you know, start picking it up in uh, Big Ten play. I mean, it's once if you do well in your conference, I mean, anything can happen. So, And I know you guys have this midweek game against JMU, but this weekend you're going to be going to Michigan. It's a big series. They've won 15 in a row. Uh, what do you maybe tell some of the younger guys on the team where, you know, you see on the schedule, hey, this team hasn't lost in a month. Um, that can be a little bit, little bit intimidating. What do you tell guys to, you know, try and get the mindset in the right place? I just, I just tell them like, what's there to lose? Like, we're we're playing baseball, and you know, we have a one, we have a younger team. Like, what we don't have anything to lose. It's not like we're rolling out there and we're all all Americans, first round projected draft picks. Like, let's just be our dude. Let's just be scrappy guys, and let's just go out and play and have fun. And I mean. Like I said, we there's there shouldn't be any pressure for us because, like, we we really don't have anything to lose. You mentioned how young this team is. Last year, Tyler Blome was the only freshman who really saw any time, and this year you have lots of guys who are playing a lot in the outfield. You got Richie and Randy and and Bubba and Deluy on the mound and Fisher and Burleson, and I know I'm forgetting people. You got mm-hmm. vote, but when you're done here, what do you, what do you want to be the main thing that maybe they learned from you? Um, I think it's just, you know, being the same guy every day. Um, I, that's what I t- usually take a lot of pride in is just, you know, showing up to the field and being the same guy no matter if I'm struggling or I'm doing really well because, it, like, it's just a tough game and you you can't get really high on yourself. You can't get really low on yourself because, like, you know, just anything can happen in this game. And I, j- I just hope that, you know, they, they just show up and understand that and, and I, uh, obviously I want them just to realize that, you know, there's more more to life than just baseball. Like sometimes you feel trapped in the sport, but like there's so much more than just the game and just, you know, just to try to enjoy it because it, it does fly by and just to realize like, you know, this is a small part of your life, but enjoy these four years because it does fly by. What would you tell someone who's maybe in high school right now and thinking about coming to play at Maryland? Um, I would I would say it's it's a good opportunity to come play, especially, you know, for me from just from my experiences being a like for local guys. I mean, I I've enjoyed you know being close to home and having all my friends and family surrounded around me. But I think the you know there's a lot of good things going in this program. Um, I'd say right now, I mean we we're just you know we're battling through some things, but the future is bright and. There's a there's a great um, surrounding cast around here that really care and uh, are trying to you know develop you as a player and both as a person and a student. Um, so I mean it's a you know it's a great education as well. Uh, I mean you can't really go wrong with coming here. Well, over this last these last couple months since the season started, um, I've kind of been noticing how many guys who you know were players here. Are, tuning in to our broadcast every day. Um, 
I know last week in the William and Mary game, Kevin Smith and one of his teammates now who played at William and Mary had a bet on the game and Brandon Lau's been tweeting about listening and Selmer's been listening and I know Zach Jankarski and Kevin Bionic both promised they'd be listening next year, so can we get that yeah, promise from you? For sure. I mean I'll I'll probably be hanging hanging down there by the uh left field fence <laughs> with all the like it, it it's cool it is cool though. Like I you know, this weekend I would look in the stands and I'd see like my brother and like Mike Racino, Heisel, Madison Nickens just hanging out, you know, cheering you on. Like that's a special feeling, honestly. Like it honestly just helps you become loose and just knowing your friends are there and uh it's definitely a special bond. I mean, all the guys who've been through here you know, like Schaefer, we're, I mean, we're always staying in touch, so it, it's definitely a special bond. Yeah, Schaefer had his first single-A start last night, and uh, it was pretty impressive, four scoreless, nine strikeouts. Uh, so congratulations to him. But I talked about this with Pat a little bit, and we'll get you out of here on this one. He was saying how many games he comes back to, and he says you don't do that unless you really loved the people you played with, the place you played, and the coaches you played for. Do you think that's kind of true with you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, just – you know, being here four years, and you, I mean, you think about it. I was committed. I only my sophomore year. Like that's basically like a six-year relationship I've had with these guys. So it 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 definitely helps you as a person, and um, it definitely once you once I leave here, I'll definitely want to stay in touch with those guys just because of you know how how long how long of time I spent with them, how much work I've put in with them, how much stress I've gone through with them. Like, it's, it's just it's a special relationship. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us here, and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Our thanks to Justin Morris for joining us on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now I'm back with Connor. And last week, Connor, you said it perfectly. It's the dirty M word around this program midweek. Let's do it again. Tuesday at James Madison. Yeah, it's going to be another tough one for the Terps. I mean, you look at these games and you think their games Maryland should be winning. But the Terps now 2-6 and six in the midweeks. And I know we say it every time we talk about a midweek game, but you have to bring it up again. The Terps struggled in the midweek last year, too, but you know what? They found a way somehow to come back in these games, and they went 7-3. and three. They're 2-6 and six this year. It was something that I talked with Anthony Papio about a couple weekends ago, just about the midweek games, and he was like, look, frankly, last year our starting pitching was worse in the midweek games than it is now. It's just our offense just somehow had that edge to them that, you know, they felt comfortable playing behind 6-1, to 7 to nothing, and maybe that's just not – what's going on with the Terps this year. But they're getting better starts. You have Mark DeLuya going out there giving up one run over six innings, and the Terps just can't get a win over a scuffling William & Mary team who's beaten them twice this year, a Delaware team that has already beaten the Terps twice this year. So now a chance against James Madison, who has actually had a solid season so far. They're 15-15. and 15. You go on the road against JMU. The Terps have won three in a row against the Dukes. They did not play them last year. That game was rained out, but they took both games from them in 2016. And a chance for the Terps to just get it together in the midweek. If they can get another start like they did Tuesday from Mark DeLuya, I think the Terps should be in good shape, but you just never know in these midweek games. Well, the Dukes got swept last weekend by College of Charleston to fall to 2-7 and seven in CAA play. These teams have a couple common opponents. Maryland 
uh, beat up on Elon early this season in midweek. James Madison lost two of three in a weekend series to the Phoenix. Uh, James Madison played two games in a midweek at Tennessee, lost one of them 10 to one, and won the other 21 to two. And in a midweek very early in the season against Richmond on the road, James Madison won 10-6. But this team's 15 and 15, two and seven in CAA play. Like we said, I mean, we talk about it at nauseum, but Maryland on paper is more talented, and this is a game they should win. But obviously in midweeks, who knows what's going to happen. John Murphy, you wonder if he's available. Uh, he faced one batter on Sunday after throwing 49 pitches on Friday. Kevin Biondic pitched a little bit on Sunday. So we don't know about the bullpen, but I guess like always, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, essentially it's just, you know, what? does Rob Vaughn and Corey Muscara feel comfortable with going out there on Tuesday against James Madison? You assume it's going to be Mark DeLuya getting the start, but after that, will Mike Vasturia be the first guy out of the pen again in the midweek games? You know, how much do they trust Elliot Zollner in one of these roles again? How much do we see Grant Burleson and Sean Fisher? And do we see a guy like Kevin Biondic or John Murphy at the end of the game? But we keep talking about the pitching, the pitching, the pitching in the midweek. To me, I think the bats have been more of the issue in the midweek this season. I mean, Last year, we've talked about it at length, as I said earlier. The pitching was not good. The bats were very good, and the Terps won 7 of 10 games. This year, I wouldn't say the pitching has been very good. The last couple of starts, at least, you know, the Terps got two weeks ago against Richmond. They got five solid innings out of DeLuya and Vasturia before the bullpen came in and just kind of let it get away. And then last week, DeLuya was great in that game, and the bullpen was really good until the 11th inning. So, you know, the Terps offense just has to take it on themselves to – try and get at these pitchers where you're playing teams that even if they're solid teams in their conference like James Madison is a solid team in the CAA you know they're still using a midweek starter themselves and that's a guy that the Terps have to go out there and really hit then this weekend the Terps will be on the road in Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines who started the season four and 11 but are red hot since then and they've won 15 consecutive games 6-0 and in conference play. Eric Backage, former head coach here at Maryland, has got his team rolling. They had a top 10 recruiting class coming into this season after losing a lot of pieces last year from a really, really good team that got a two-seed in the NCAA tournament as an at-large. And everything's coming together right now. The Wolverines are 11-1 at home. They're coming off a sweep of Northwestern in which they only allowed three runs in 27 innings. Second in the Big Ten in ERA lead the Big Ten in the lead, giving up the least hits as a staff. Batting average against is 224, which is the best in the Big Ten. So this is a really, really good pitching staff that Maryland's going to be facing this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be really, really tough for the Terps this weekend. And as you said, you just, you know, without even having to look at anyone's stats on this Michigan team, you look at 15 in a row and you know this team is just firing on all cylinders right now. But the starters have been good for this Michigan team. The bats have been very, very good, and they just continue to put everything together this season Do the Wolverines. You know, you have a guy who will go out there and Tommy Henry, who's got the ERA under three. You have Carl Kaufman. The ERA is just over three for him on the season, and you'll see those guys in the weekend against the Terps. And the Terps have the good starters too, but the difference in these two teams right now is the bats, Michigan just hitting consistently, and the pitching has been good. The Terps have been so inconsistent with the bats, and that's why a team like Michigan that's just been so consistent hitting, pitching, they've won 15 in a row. Yeah, on Fridays it'll be – or on Friday it'll be Tommy Henry for Michigan. He's 5-0 and with a 2.52 ERA, which is sixth in the Big Ten. 
Ben Dragani, a freshman left-hander, will pitch on Saturday. He leads the Big Ten with a 1.13 ERA. And then on Sunday, Carl Kaufman, 13th in conference play, or in the conference, excuse me, with a 3.12 ERA. He's 4-2. Out of the bullpen, the main guys are Angelo Smith, who's got a .9 ERA. Will try Buecher, ERA 1.5. Jeff Criswell, an ERA just over 2. And Alec Renard, who hasn't had as good of a season this season, but uh, was tremendous last year for Michigan. So this is a really strong pitching staff that Maryland's going to have to contend with. We'll see if the Terps decide to make any moves with the weekend rotation, although we both said maybe that would be a good idea. I would still be somewhat surprised if the Terps move things around, but you know what? We'll see. I think one of the main issues here, Friday and Saturday, a couple more lefties against the Terps, and we've seen Maryland struggle against left-handers all year. Yeah, the left-handers have been so good against Maryland. This season, you look at that Illinois series and what Andy Fisher was able to do, eight innings and three runs against the Terps in that first game on Friday. You go back to last weekend against Northwestern as well when Quinn Lavelle was on the mound in that game. He went a complete game shutout and struck out eight against the Terps, giving up just four hits. And, you know, Fisher and Lavelle, you know, those are the two guys you really, really look at. They didn't have great, great stuff from the left side, but they just pounded the strike zone and got the Terps to chase when they needed to, and Maryland just for some reason continues to struggle against left-handed pitchers, and they're going to have to figure that out. If we want to look at a positive sign of this, uh, Mar- or excuse me, Michigan's 15-game win streak hasn't been against the best teams in the world necessarily. Three against Northwestern, three against Delaware, one against Central Michigan, three against Michigan State, one against Western Michigan, one against Oakland, and three against Bowling Green. And right before uh, they started this 15-game win streak. They lost to Lawrence Tech on March 14th, and no offense to anyone who's gone there, but I have never heard of Lawrence Tech. It's not a Division One school. Definitely it's is not N- a Division it's an, it's an NAIA school. So, you know, 15 wins is 15 wins. It's obviously nothing to scoff at, but it's not like Michigan's been beating world beaters. They haven't beaten anyone who's remotely close to being ranked. So, you know, it's not like this is a team that's, going out there beating top 25 teams every game. Like we said, anything can happen in baseball anytime you can win 15 games. It's one of the more impressive things you'll see. But, I mean, Bowling Green, Oakland, Western Michigan, a couple teams at the bottom of the Big Ten in Northwestern and Michigan State. Delaware, who did beat Maryland twice, but, you know, that's still a middling team in the CAA. So I don't think Michigan is, you know, a team that can't be beaten. Right, and that's something maybe you preach in the Terps' dugout. Hey, they've won 15 in a row, but they haven't played anybody as good as Maryland, probably. If you look at that schedule, I mean, those are a lot of teams, some of those teams playing under 500 baseball. I mean, especially looking at the teams they played in the Big Ten in that streak. Northwestern and Michigan State might be the two worst teams in the conference right now, Big Ten-wise. So Michigan, really, this might be the toughest team they've played over that stretch in Maryland. So as the Terps, you have to look at it that way. Look, you know, they have 15 wins in a row against other teams, but, you know, they don't have any against Maryland. The Terps took two of three from the Wolverines last year, so that's how you have to look at it, and the Terps have a big chance to get back on track against, even though, the you know, the schedule hasn't been great, 15 in a row, 15 in a row. It's a very good Michigan team. So the first game of this series will be Friday at 4 p.m. Is there a time change in Ann Arbor? I don't think Ooh, so. Are we central time, or are we? I'm, a, I'm not sure about I that. I think we might be eastern time zone. In Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let's check it out. They are Eastern Time Zone right. in Ann Arbor. All right, so 4 o'clock Eastern Time, Friday night. First pitch will be 
Obviously, at 4 o'clock, pregame show at 3.30 here on the Maryland Baseball Network, 2 o'clock Saturday, and Sunday at 2.30. Saturday night is actually Michigan football's spring game, so uh, maybe the fans will stop by the Wilpon Complex and the baseball stadium before that, maybe get a nice crowd on hand, and uh, it should be a fun series. I'll be out there. Connor, you will be at James Madison on Tuesday, 6 o'clock, first pitch, 5.30 pregame show as always here on the Maryland Baseball Network, and we hope you will join us for that. So that pretty much wraps up episode 52 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Justin Morris for sitting down and talking with us on this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter for updates at MDBaseballNet. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash mdbaseballnet. Look at all our content at our website, marylandbaseballnetwork.com. And if you like what you've heard on this podcast, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. So once again, Tuesday at James Madison, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Michigan. And we'll have all the coverage for you here on the Maryland Baseball Network. For now, for my partner, Connor Newcomb, I'm Justin Galanti. So long, everyone.